the glory days are here to say the 80s horror show. Take a stroll down memory's lane, it's time to start the show. The gory days, the gory days, the gory days, the gory days. The gory days. Welcome to the gory days, the show where we take a stroll down memory slain to remember our favorite horror movies from the 1980s and beyond. It just won't stay dead. That's right. The gory days is back for another season uh, episode. Whatever. I'm back. I'm not going to belabor the point. Let's just get right into the movie. We're talking about 1986's The Fly with Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis. This movie... Uh, I'll just start with my personal connection to this movie. I I don't remember when exactly I first saw this movie, but I do. I have the, I'll just I have this very specific memory in my head of my friend. Shout out Morgan. Hi Morgan, wherever you are. Good to hear from you. <laughs> uh, I invited my friend over to my house, and I believe I had already rented this at Blockbuster or something a few times, and uh, I had it again. I'd rented it again, and. Um, <laughs> My poor friend, he got pretty far into the movie, but if you've seen this, and if you haven't, I'm going to get into all of it, he could not stomach the ending, where it was going, and I remember at the time just being in the same room and him leaving the room, standing outside of the room and going... It's okay, you finish it, it's too scary, and then we'll hang out when it's over. And so I sat there and finished and watched the movie, and I remember my mom privately taking me afterward and going like, Kyle, that was very rude. First of all, that movie is too scary. You shouldn't be showing that to your friends. And secondly, you should have stopped watching the movie when he stopped watching the movie and gone and played with him. The fact that you made him stand outside of the room while you finished the movie that he already thought was too scary for him. <laughs> very rude, so... Uh, you were right, Mom, but that doesn't change the fact that I love this movie. I'm pretty sure this is one of the ones that I saw uh, uh, way too early, way before I was uh, you know, legally supposed to. It's R-rated, but I saw it in my teens, maybe even... No, I definitely saw it before I was a teenager, but yeah... Uh, I loved Jeff Goldblum. I loved Gina Davis. I loved the monster effects. And I'm pretty sure this is one of those movies that uh, instilled my love of horror in general. So uh, you're going to be hearing a lot of praise for this movie today. You're going to be hearing a lot of praise and uh, a lot of star, a lot of thumbs by the end of it. Um, so let's just quickly run down how this movie uh, got made. This is actually a remake of a movie that was made in 1958, starring um, Vincent Price. But that is also a adaptation of a short story, The Fly, by George Langellan, that was published in uh, June 1957 uh, in Playboy Magazine's Best Fiction. It won Playboy Magazine's Best Fiction Award for the year uh, and was selected for inclusion in the annual of the year's Best Science Fiction. Just a quick, like, aside, I've learned just uh, through various different channels recently that uh, Playboy and Hustler and a lot of porn magazines back in the day actually housed, uh, and Hustler actually housed these, like, havens for science fiction writers, like uh, Harlan Ellison, and um, that's always the first one I can think of, but uh, he, the porn industry has been this secret bastion for sci-fi writers, for a long time, as far back as the 50s, if not uh, later than that. So this short story by George Lagellan 
The Fly existed in Playboy magazine, was eventually adapted into a film in 1958, as I said, starring Vincent Price, which in turn uh, got two sequels, Return of the Fly in 1959 and Curse of the Fly in 1965. And then finally, 1968, David Cronenberg gets his fingers on The Fly and gives us, in my opinion, the best, the best interpretation of uh, what I can only assume was all originally housed in the uh, short story, but that'd be a good one to dig up. I'd like to read the original short story and see how much uh, retained, because I've, growing up, I had seen passing references to the 1958 fly specifically, and I haven't seen the movie, but I guess there is a sequence either near the end or at some point in the film where um, the man who becomes the fly, I assume Vincent Price, has like a fly, he's become the fly, and he's saying, uh, help me, help me, and it's like this like high-pitched, squealy little help me that I heard in Animaniacs and uh, Looney Tunes and all, all kinds of reference uh, references throughout my childhood. And it wasn't until, like, my dad explained to me, like, oh, that's from The Fly, that I was like, oh, that's from the Jeff Goldblum one? I don't remember that. Uh, Oh, and I remember thinking at the time, oh, it must be kind of like what viewers imagine uh, the Brundle Fly, Telepod Fly at the end is saying to Gina Davis's character, help me, help me. (laughs) But no, no, it's a reference to the 1958 original film which I've never seen because this isn't the show where we talk about our favorite horror movies from the 1950s and beyond. No, we're talking about the only fly that I've seen. Uh, Well, if you're not counting the fly too, the 1986, uh, the fly starring Jeff Goldblum. So with an estimated budget of $15 million, this movie released on Friday, August 15th, 1986, Directed by David Cronenberg, as I mentioned, produced by Stuart Kornfeld, screenplay by Charles Edward Pogue and David Cronenberg himself. Production company, the production company for this movie originally was Mel Brooks's company, Brooks Films. That's right, Mel Brooks, the very same from uh, Blazing Saddles and The Producers and others, um, got his hands on this very early on and eventually moved it on to SLM Production Group, paraphrasing some of the history there. Distributed by 20th Century Fox and scored by the great Howard Shore. Makeup effects by Chris Wallace. Chris Wallace, who did Gremlins, as we covered recently on The Gory Days uh, a few episodes ago. Along with makeup artist Stefan Dupsip, they they both received the Academy Award for Best Makeup for this movie. Which is so rare. A horror movie to take home any Academy Award uh, was very rare. So... The makeup effects in this movie are beyond compare. They, they, I feel like they set a new standard for what 80s horror uh, visual effects were capable of or like what audiences were expecting. It's funny, in my research, there was like a, a quote from Chris Wallace who said that uh, they wanted to move away from blood bags because in his uh, you know, paraphrased quote, he said, even housewives know about blood bags. So we got to try something totally different with this one. And they did, and it earned them the uh, Academy Award for Best Makeup, so I think it shows. So if you haven't seen this movie, it stars Jeff Goldblum as Seth Brundle, Dr. Seth Brundle, Gina Davis as Ronnie, her full name, Veronica Quaif. I don't remember them ever saying her last name, but John Getz as the bizarrely named Stathis Borans, really weird name. Joy Bouchelle as Tawny, Leslie Carlson as Dr. Brent Cheevers, the uh, nighttime abortion doctor who shows up uh, near the third act. 
George Shavalo as Marky, who is the um, uh, like boorish lumberjack looking uh, guy who Jeff Goldblum ends up arm wrestling with at one point. And David Cronenberg himself as a gynecologist who shows up in a nightmare sequence. <laughs> that's that's a weird one. David Cronenberg putting himself in his own movie. That's fine. That's fine. People have been doing that forever. It's a, it's a, a wonderful thing to hide yourself in your own movie. But as the gynecologist? <laughs> uh, anyway... <laughs> Famously, Gene Siskel of Siskel and Ebert named The Fly as one of the 10th best films of 1986. Oh, I'm sorry, as the 10th best film of 1986. That's still pretty good. I have to imagine there were a lot of movies that year. Um, But number 10 of all of them, I'd like to know what he thought the number one best movie of 1986 is. Uh, But I'm not interested enough to Google. It grossed $7 million and $7,000, so many, you know, $7 million plus change, um, its opening weekend, and went on to gross domestically $40 million. And that has only expanded, I'm sure, since video release and stuff. And frankly, I feel like they're overdue for a reboot, a The Fly reboot or remake, just as long as it's not like a direct sequel or continuation of what we're getting, like Candyman. That's fine. I, I just, I want... I want reboots or like fresh interpretations of stuff. I don't necessarily need new additions to existing uh, universes, but um, that's not going to stop them because The Fly 2 came out in 1989, uh, which I've also seen and is so bad. It's so bad. It's so much worse. It's got one really cool elevator head crush (laughs) kill, though. That's pretty good. Um, Anyway, there are some taglines for the movie that uh, are pretty silly. I want to get into the best part, my favorite part, which is the first segment of my podcast. What the hell just happened? So, really quickly, let's go through the movie for anyone who hasn't seen it so I can get to my analyses and some of the fun thoughts that I came up with for this movie. So we start our movie introducing ourselves to our two main characters. It's really nice. There, are, there aren't actually that many characters in this movie, so uh, we knocked them all out pretty quickly. Uh, we are at a party where we meet Dr. Seth Brundle, and Dr. Seth Brundle meets journalist uh, Ronnie. I'm just going to call her Ronnie because Veronica Quaif, uh, I'm just going to call her Ronnie because that's what she called, she's called throughout the whole movie. Long story short, they end up back after the party at Seth's lab, and there he reveals pretty quickly uh, his presentation after playing some piano, which I'm pretty sure Jeff Goldblum was actually playing the piano there. (laughs) Uh, So yada, yada, yada. The presentation is the telepods. He has invented teleportation, and we establish in so many lines that Dr. Seth Brundle hates travel, and so he's invented by means of contracting outside uh, people to create complex parts and machinery that he then acquires back from those contractors and assembles without anyone's knowledge of what he's actually creating. And his benefactors, the Bartok uh, industry or or whatever the the company is called, is financing him, or that's it, Bartok Science Industries pay uh, uh, financing him, and they just aren't asking him questions. They kind of just like yada, yada, yada over how the hell he's able to put this together by saying it's not all that expensive. He's using a bunch of different parts. But anyway, he's made it. He's made teleportation, and she doesn't believe it, so he he does a a normal thing. He asks for a personal item that there's no way he could ever have uh, uh, reproduced before, so she gives him her pantyhose, and he teleports it. 
And she makes a reference to like the two cabinets technique. I'd never heard of him, but she reveals that she's been recording him this whole time. And she's like, and he's like, what do you, what, you can't record this. And she's like, yeah, I'm a journalist. You knew that. And he's like, oh, I thought this was off the record, <laughs> which is such a funny thing in movies and stuff. Cause uh, as far as I know, as long as you're speaking to a journalist, nothing is off the record. Even if you say this is off the record, nothing is off the record. That's not a legally binding thing is to say, oh, but they said this was off the record, but it's such a common thing. Um, so it creates this conflict of like, oh, well, um, I, I'm a journalist. And so he asks her to leave. And that's when she goes back to her uh, magazine, uh, Particle Magazine. I guess it's like a science journal, I imagine, something a little more um, serious than popular science, uh, something like that. Doesn't matter. Her boss, Stathis Borens, doesn't believe the recording that uh, he that she plays. But that doesn't matter because Seth Brundle shows up at her office and takes her to lunch, and they go get some cheeseburgers. And that's where he explains, "Okay, I was a little hasty last night. Here's my pitch: instead of a singular article about me." <laughs> Uh, with, you know, information taken without my knowledge last night. Why don't you sit with me while I finish this project and you write a book about it when it's all done? So so the deal is you wait for me and it'll end with the first successful teleporting of a person himself. And so she's like, all right, that sounds good. And and then we find out, I love the way that they organize this. So we meet Stathis. He's the, like, um, uh, boss that doesn't really believe in uh, Ronnie. And then someone's in Ronnie's house. And who is it in the shower? Stathis Borens. Because, surprise, they used to bump uglies. Uh, she used to be, I guess, I, I guess they met in college, and he was obviously older than her and so probably took her under his wing as like a TA or God forbid, maybe even a professor. And that uh, led to a relationship at this business where surely he got her a job. And it's just so icky because he is a horrible person. A hor- I mean, just in uh, as far as a lover, it seems. He is a terrible lover. He's very selfish. He's very withholding and very, uh, m- uh, what's the word? Uh, j- not jealous, but um, possessive. He's very possessive of her, even when they're not dating. So, so yeah, we reveal that uh, they used to be dating. And I think it's really gross that she asked for her key back, the house key that he ostensibly broke into her home to take a shower with. And he's like, I'll keep it for old time's sake. And the best she can come up with is, you're a petty schmuck, and then doesn't kick him in the nuts and call the police and take his key back. <laughs> but... I don't know. We, we haven't seen their relationship up to this point. I'm only getting what I'm seeing here. Anyway, we hit the ground running with a first test of a living subject to be teleported back at uh, Seth Brundle's um, lab. And so Ronnie is there with a, f- a video camera filming the first teleportation of a baboon. The baboon gets turned inside out. Of course. Of course it doesn't work. The baboon gets turned inside out and it's this nasty. Oh god, it looks I can only imagine how painful that must be because it's still alive and it's like popping. <laughs> People were not meant to be inside out. You know when you watch like those um uh cartoons or even like uh Mr. Goodbody, how it's like, oh yeah, if the body got turned inside out, the bones and uh, organs and stuff would kind of just be stuck on and hanging out or would maybe be just like painted onto the skin. That 
that doesn't happen. If something is turned inside out, those guts don't have anywhere to suspend themselves. So they're just like popping and spewing stuff. It's so nasty, but oh, I love this. It's <laughs> So yeah, they body horror the baboon. It splits and they're sitting there and they're thinking about it and they're like, I wonder why that happened. Then they have steaks. <laughs> After they saw um, the baboon get turned inside out, they decide, oh man, I'm really hungry. We should have some raw meat. That sounds really good. <laughs> so Ronnie's like, oh, I got some steaks. Let's cook up, cook up some steaks. God, Ronnie in the weirdest way brings up, oh, the flesh makes old ladies crazy. That's why they kiss baby's cheeks. And Seth Brunel's like, huh. The flesh makes people crazy. The computer is giving us its interpretation of a steak, the baboon. Something's getting lost in the translation. Translation: I haven't taught the computer to go crazy for flesh like old ladies kissing babies. Okay, sure, why not? This is clearly one of those computers where you can type in like full sentences and it will figure out what you mean. But if for whatever reason that doesn't work, you can just talk to it and it'll respond to you. It's one of those like hyper advanced 80s computers. So, oh, sure, he's just got to um, uh, clarify what the flesh is supposed to do as it travels through the teleporter. In the meantime, we get one more... <laughs> Uh, scene of Stathis following Veronica into a clothing store and him telling her that like you can't go you can't spend the night there and she's like I'll spend the night wherever I goddamn please <laughs> Gina Davis's character Ronnie does such a good job of keeping Stathis Borens at bay it's it's a little frustrating uh, where they end up at the end it's unclear but I feel like there's an, a direction where it's headed uh, by the end of the movie but <laughs> there's a couple moments here and later in the office again where she does a great job of just saying shut the fuck up you are not in control of me <laughs> so now we finally get another test with a baboon ronnie's filming and it works it works it goes off without a hitch the baboon teleports and then it jumps right into jeff goldblum's arms Oh my God, which is apparently the most interesting thing that happened on set. Uh, it's so funny. If you do research for The Fly, you'll find this same uh, anecdote that keeps going around, which is they had baboons on set and baboons are extremely um, alpha receptive. Uh, I don't know if that's the term, but it means that if you don't demonstrate that you are the one in control, the baboons will, will take control. And uh, the, the common anecdote is that Jeff Goldblum, hairless and buff, there was so such a man and was so commanding and everything that the baboons immediately were comfortable enough to leap into their into his arms, which is like a, a huge show of trust that like if the baboon leaps into your arms, that's a huge show of trust. So the fact that they were able to get that shot into this movie is testament to what a big dick uh, Jeff Goldblum has, I guess. <laughs> Or rather, how he carries it. It's not about the big dick. It's about the big dick energy. <laughs> so here's uh, how we get to the inciting incident. They're celebrating. They've got champagne, and Seth is going to order a spicy eggplant. Um, but Ronnie sees a magazine that was delivered to Seth Brundle's office with a cover implying that Stathis is going to run her story before she has a chance to publish her book, which would ruin her book and ruin everything they've been working on. Stathis fucking sucks. So she has to leave while he's getting drunk on champagne and celebrating with a baboon all alone and confront her fucking monster of an ex-lover. 
And that leaves Seth Brundle alone, like I said, getting drunk and celebrating the fact that his teleporter worked with a human. Uh-oh. You can guess what happens at this point. He goes into the teleporter because he's so cocky and drunk like it worked, but a fly goes in too, and so they both teleport. But Ronnie comes back after the test, and everything seems fine. He, he's just elated that he went through, and it worked. And so they, de- they decide to have sex. But while they're uh, having sex, she notices, well, I don't think she notices in that moment, but we notice that there are some gross hairs growing out of a back wound that he got earlier in the movie when he'd accidentally rolled onto a a motherboard or a a computer chip or something. He got stuck in his back and left a wound. And now growing out of that wound from earlier are these thick, gross little black hairs. Uh Uh-oh. So now the rest of the movie takes place within four weeks, I believe uh, four weeks and six days. So that was, you know, minutes after the fusion. Um, This is day one after the fusion. And (laughs) this is one of my favorite parts. Seth Brundle is a gymnast. And it goes on for a while. It's a good long scene where he's doing like um, a full routine on the pipes of uh, the apartment or the flat or the lab that he's in. It's, It's all the same thing. And um, I, there, there's moments there where you can tell it's not Jeff Goldblum, but it's still really impressive. Um, and then they go out for coffee, and Jeff Goldblum delivers this amazing monologue while he's clearly coked out, but theorizing on that the teleportation is a purifying process, that something about him going through being uh, deconstructed and reconstructed on the other side somehow uh, purified him of like all of his uh, ailments and, and I don't know, uh, toxins, whatever. And that's why he believes he's so... Frankly, coked out. He's so energized, and um, he's even putting like a ton of sugar into his coffee, which we all know is something uh, an insect man would do, uh, as Men in Black would carry the torch. But then the next day, day two after Fusion, man, Ronnie, Seth and Ronnie have been going at it so hard, Ronnie can't keep up. She says it's been like hours, hours that they've been having sex. He's got too much libido, and she can't keep up. And then also, that's when she notices the hairs on his back, and she cuts some, um, with or without his knowledge, I can't remember, and uh, takes it away because, I, you know, she's worried. I'd be worried, too. She's going to go take it to a lab or something and get it tested. And this is the first time here, day two, that Seth is so energized on the teleportation process that he's trying to ask Ronnie to go through, saying, Ronnie, you should go through. Then, then we'd be the... Uh, what, what is it? Uh, we'd, we'd be the perfect couple, a power couple. And she refuses and she says, no, I don't want to do that. And I love this turn here. I feel like this is the first turn where he's been on her side and he's treated Ronnie, Seth has treated Ronnie as a partner in crime, a partner in this endeavor, that they are going to work on this teleportation project and she's the one that's going to catapult the out into people's eyes. Uh, and it's this moment where he he pulls this one out, um, and it's such a great temper tantrum afterward, but he just, like, she refuses, and he says, you're a fucking drag, you know that? Which I feel like is so, I, I, I feel like what's happening here is Cronenberg uh, is playing on kind of the, like, roid rage confusion element of this process, that 
yeah, he's acting like he's coked out, but he's also incredibly strong and really vindicated with everything that he's believing. And that makes a person really dangerous when their belief is very dogmatic and they believe that, but when they can back it up physically too, that's that's grounds to get out of there. But there's something so realistic about that, about say like you're in a relationship with somebody and they start to change and take a thing. Let's just use cocaine. They start to take cocaine at a, at a rate or at an amount that starts to make you really uncomfortable, but obviously they're having a blast. And just think like the moment that you try to broach the idea that you you don't, it's not even like, that's what's crazy is like at this moment, she's not saying, hey, whoa, something's wrong with you. Calm down. You need to stop whatever you're doing. She's, she's loving it. All she's saying is it's not to- personally for me. I personally don't want to go through the teleporter, but you do you. I'm a little worried, but you do you. And 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 he's it's like if your cocaine addicted lover was like, "Hey, have some cocaine with me." And you said, "Really? It's not for me. It it worries me a little bit, but it's not for me." And they went, "You're a fucking drag, you know that?" And just snapped on like, "Oh my god, you're pulling all of the fun and and the the fun that they're trying to like hold on to so desperately is 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 targeted at you. You're taking that away." I interpreted a lot from that moment. <laughs> So that's when he goes out because he's angry, he's horny, and uh, he's strong as shit. So he goes to the bar. That's where he meets Marky and Tawny uh, and breaks Marky's arm with, like, acid sweat. I don't know. That that scene is so tense. Um, even if you don't know that the arm, especially if you don't know that the arm is breaking, but even if you do, even if you watch it and you remember, oh, yeah, that's right, this guy's arm's going to break, it's still so tense because the way... The guy's arm breaks, and arm wrestling in general always skeeves me out in real life too, because it just it doesn't make physical sense to me that putting that much strain on your radius and ulna would not cause, uh, yeah, would not cause some something horrible to happen. It just makes no physical logical sense to me. Um, so that's what happens, and part of the deal, I guess, is he uh, Seth wins the arm wrestling match and gets to take home Tawny. So. They go back to the lab. He carries her upstairs. It's technically three days after fusion when he teleports a second time, as far as I know, this is only the second time, in front of Tawny to show her, like, oh, it totally works. Now you do it. And Tawny's like, I don't want to. And uh, Brundle's like, you don't have to be afraid. And Gina, or, um, Ronnie's just there and then says, no, be afraid. Be very afraid. Which is the original... Uh, which is the originator of that phrase, be afraid, be very afraid, is from this script, this movie originally, which I thought was so general, it was such a general turn of phrase that you could never really pinpoint where it originated from, but sure enough, be afraid, be very afraid originated from this movie, from that line, and was even used in the marketing on the posters and stuff. So Tawny is like, I don't know what's going on here, and she leaves, and... Ronnie says, huh, Ronnie and Tawny. Never thought about that. Is there something there? I don't know. Ronnie says, these hairs came back from the lab, and he said that they're not human. He said that they're insect hairs. The lab said that they're insect hairs. There's something going on. And she says, you're sick. And he says, you're jealous. Does this look like a sick man to you? And he starts punching the wall and, like, 
really make it's like the it's like a a pillar and he's knocking out chunks of the pillar just by punching it and of course of course kicks her out and uh is like the deal's off don't come back and kicks her out of uh his life which which really sucks because something is clearly wrong with him and it's after she leaves that he uh looks at himself in the mirror and his fingernail comes off and this is <laughs> this 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 is the start of the slow long physical suspense that Chris Wallace and his team put together because there isn't any, I mean, there's obviously the big reveal at the end, but instead of a bunch of jump scares and stuff, this movie manages to make the entire second act of his body deteriorating one long, long, tense suspense scare. It's amazing. And so his fingernail falls off and he squeezes his finger and pus shoots out of it onto the mirror. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So this is where he goes over to the computer and asks it the, um, you know, the, the big wham reveal questions. And like I said, it's one of those computers where you can ask or just type full sentences and it'll figure it out. So the exchange is, oh, uh, what happened during process? Oh, subject Brundle went through and subject fly. Secondary element, fly. And so he goes, if secondary element is fly, what happened to fly? And the computer says, fusion. And he goes, assimilation or fusion? And the computer goes, fusion of Brundle and fly at molecular genetic level. <laughs> Which to me hits like... It's like when you put cream in your coffee, you can't take the cream back out of the coffee. It's in there. It's part of the coffee now. The molecules have like have fused on a genetic level, on a molecular genetic level. So he's fucked. <laughs> and uh, this is another turn now where he's not feeling invincible anymore. So four weeks after fusion... Four weeks. We have a big time jump. We spent from three days to four weeks. Brundle Seth finally calls Ronnie and asks her to asks her to come see him. And man, I love this. Whereas before, the same actor, Jeff Goldblum, was like a paragon of a man. Was this like Adonis Atlas swinging around his apartment? He's got a cane. He he is he is a diseased shell of a man he's got such nasty greasy skin and his nasty hair and he, he i mean uh once again paraphrasing he just explains it as a cancer just general cellular chaos and revolution as his cells can't decide if they're a fly or a human or not and so they're just going to rip themselves apart until he dies and then his ear falls off and ronnie hugs the side with the ear <laughs> that just fell off. It's, I swear she gets like the goop on her side. Why would she hug it? Why would she hug that side? And that's another thing. When you do research for The Fly, you find out that Gina Davis was like really grossed out also by that scene of her having to hug him on the side that his ear just fell off. But I don't understand. There's no reason she had to in that moment. She could have hugged him on the other side of his head and pushed her head against his intact ear. But in the character, in the moment, the character reaches and hugs him on the goofy, gross ear <laughs> just so oh god it's so gross i can only imagine how it would smell he's this rotting person Ugh. so then this is another moment ronnie goes back to stathis's office uh, to to tell him what's happening and he's and he tells her he's like listen i don't want and she's like i don't care what you want <laughs> she said that he's like all right fine fine and walks away oh, i love that moment 
And so Stathis, for some reason, responds to all of this by saying, film him. Film the, the, what you're talking about, what he is. And so she goes back two days later, four weeks and two days after Fusion, and he's actually doing a lot better. She brought the video camera, and he's glad because he's on the ceiling and the walls. He is crawling on the ceiling and walls like a super fly person, like Spider-Man. And frankly, if he stayed in this state, he probably could live the rest of his life as a superhero or maybe even a, a like jewel thief or something. He'd, be, he'd have one up on Ethan Hunt. He wouldn't need all those cables. But instead, he sets up the little st- demonstration that Stathis wanted and shows how he eats, uh, just like a fly with vomit drops. So he puts the food out in front of him and he explains, oh, my stomach can't uh, digest solid foods anymore and they hurt a lot, so now I have to digest foods externally like a fly. And here we go. It's so gross, the sound effects for it. We don't get to see it in that moment. In fact, I don't think we ever get to see him actually consume Anything, thank God, we do later get to see him melt quite a few things, uh, (laughs) which I love. (sighs) And then Ronnie learns and reveals that she's pregnant and that she doesn't want it. She's pregnant with Seth's baby. And it's, to, to anyone who is keeping track, yes, I believe the first time that they have sex is after he's gone through with the fly. So she is very, very reasonably afraid that whatever child she has is going to be a human fly hybrid, which is terrifying. So the so that she she has a dream sequence, a nightmare sequence, where David Cronenberg is the gynecologist, and she gives birth to this giant writhing maggot. It's so disgusting. It's so disgusting. God, that's that's the kind of body horror mama like. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so bad. So then, four weeks, six days after fusion, this is it. This is it. The final, this final day or whatever, four weeks and six days after fusion, he is a freak. He is a, dis- he, he's, this is, I think, the second to last stage before he's the actual fly. So this is as gross as he gets. The computer is telling him that in order to reduce the percentage of fly in him, he needs to fuse with more human subjects. <sighs> I love this computer. <laughs> but then um, his voice isn't being recognized anymore. So uh, before he was typing things out, but his fingers weren't working, so he had to say things. And now his voice isn't being recognized, and his teeth are falling out, and he's putting all of the pieces of himself <laughs> in a medicine cabinet. And I'm 99% sure that one of the things in his medicine cabinet is his penis. I'm pretty sure it's on the right, on like the lower rack. I It's too rotted to tell for sure but it would make total sense it would be massively traumatizing that his his junk has fallen off at this point like his ears like his teeth it is so horrific i i can only imagine that a person in his state would much rather die just die and not rot away slowly and turn into this like walking leprosy monster so now finally ronnie shows up one last time with the intent to tell him that she's pregnant with his child, but she can't do it. And once again, we get another awesome little monologue of Jeff Gold of uh, Seth Brundle explaining uh, insect politics. Have you ever heard of insect politics? <laughs> they don't have them. Insects don't have politics. Uh, they're they're like vile, and they only react to instinct. And I'm saying I'm an insect who dreamt of being a man and loved it, but now the dream is over. 
and the insect is awake. I'm saying, I'll hurt you if you stay, which is so Kafka, so metamorphosis. I was an insect who dreamed of being a man and loved it, but now the dream is over and the insect is awake. It's so beautiful. But that's, that's too much for Ronnie. She leaves. And in fact, Stathis is outside hoping that she told him so that they can then go to the abortion clinic right afterward, but she couldn't do it. She couldn't tell him and instead screams in the alley, I don't want it in my body! Which Seth Brundle heard because he was on top of the roof and he heard that I don't want it to be in my body. And who else could that be but his baby? Which... He could use some more human DNA to become more human. Ah, the pieces are coming together. So they go to the hospital. We meet the doctor uh, who's going to be performing this after-hours uh, emergency abortion that night. But we get a really, it's, it's a really tiny moment. But when Ronnie says, I'll do it myself if I have to, just the desperation of how terrified she is of the situation that she has this, this, God, it's, for, for the context of the film, it is a monster. It is a monster inside her. The context of the film, she is completely vindicated in wanting to get that monster out of her body by any means necessary, to the point that she is even willing to inflict bodily harm on herself. The parallels to abortion, abortion uh, stigmas against abortion, and the kinds of things that women in the real world subject themselves to out of desperation because their cultures or uh, society, whatever... It's my podcast. Whatever backwards belief are keeping them from getting uh, professional medical attention... The parallels are reflected here in this moment where there's two white men in the room talking about her body. And she's like, I don't care what you people say. It's my body. I want it out, and I'll do it myself if I have to. So, fuck, good. The doctors agree that they're going to perform the abortion. So she's in her hospital window, assumingly getting prepped for surgery. (laughs) And Brundle bursts through the window and probably one I think it's the only jump scare in the whole movie where it's a very serene moment she's in the hospital she's finally safe and then through it's not even like uh, just a window it's that uh, those like cube opaque glass thick thick glass you can see like the chunks of it fall down once he breaks through he just bursts through that despite despite his ears and flesh falling off <laughs> that's kind of a plot hole I never thought about is yeah he's strong but we've hard established that his skin isn't. (laughs) Anyway, he kidnaps her, steals Ronnie away, uh, and we get back to the lab where Brundle is begging her to have the baby. He says it may be all that's left of the real me. This is actually on top of a, a roof somewhere. He's saying it may be all that's left of the real me. Please don't kill me. Which gives me chills even in this moment. Because not only does it reflect later where he's begging for death, here he's begging for life, but it's proxy life. It's, it's that he has accepted by this point in the film that he's lost so much of his humanity that he's not even a person anymore. He says that he was an insect that dreamed of being a person. And hearing that he's going to have, that, that uh, Ronnie could potentially have a human baby, most likely because he didn't connect that, it might be a human-fly hybrid. Um, just like, I don't know, not everyone would have remembered in that moment, especially if your brain is being eaten away by its cells turning into a fly. Uh, I think we can cut him some slack there. 
but he sees a chance for his humanity again in the form of Ronnie having this baby, which is another horrific reflection to real life gender politics. And so far as a, uh, a terrible person committing a terrible act to a, to a woman and then demanding that they keep that child because it, it's, it's a piece of their humanity. Fuck you. <laughs> it's her body. You put a fucking monster in her. And, uh, it's 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 particularly uh, difficult because they were both consenting and there was nothing actually problematic about the situation. It was uh, just information that came out later, and so I could I can only imagine like if they were to reboot this movie, I'd be upset. It'd be such a missed opportunity if they didn't raise that much much higher to the forefront of that's some of the major theme themes happening here. Um, quick aside, it's all undercut by the fact that The Fly 2, the 1989 sequel, exists because she has the baby, and he is a fly, but he's a normal kid, and it's the kind of thing where it's like, oh, it isn't until he's 18 that he starts to transform or whatever, but ignoring that that movie happens, she tells him, I, I, I can't, I can't have this baby. She refuses, and he's like, it's too bad, because I wonder in this moment if he was he wanted her to have the baby so that the baby could live. Like I was saying a second ago, just as a reflection of his humanity. But now I'm wondering, now I'm wondering if there's a part of him that wanted her to have the baby so he could fuse with it. Like the computer was telling him because that seems to be his next logic. When he says that's too bad, something about that line of logic makes me think, okay, if she doesn't say yes to having the baby, then I'm fusing with them, which would, which would preclude the idea of, okay, I'm going to trick her into having the baby and then I'll fuse with the baby. That doesn't make sense. Um, I don't know if it's like a flesh thing because you definitely want the most flesh or if it's a DNA thing. Is that is that a thing? Are people born with so much DNA, like they only get 100 DNA points inside their body regardless of size? It's not like you get more DNA points as you age later. <laughs> is it like, I don't know. I don't know. Is it like bones? Do they, do they like change throughout your whole life, grow and shrink and uh, do bones shrink? I don't understand the human body at all. So, Stathis shows up at the lab with a shotgun because I guess there was a, a thing. I don't even think it's in the script. I think he uh, skeet shoots like clay pigeons. So he's got a shotgun. It doesn't matter. He's got a shotgun and he's waiting at the lab for him. But Seth Brundle attacks him and barf melts his hand and then barf melts his leg. And then he's about to bart melt Stathis's face but Ronnie gets him to stop. And that's when Brundle pretty much explains his plan. He's got a third teleporter. I don't remember exactly what the circumstances for that were, if there was already an existing teleporter, because to me, he does not seem to be in the best frame of mind, let alone physical ability, to build a new telepod. I mean, it was hard to establish that he had to outsource and contract other people's work to get it to even make the damn thing, whatever. There's a third telepod, and here's his plan. He's going to fuse himself, Ronnie, and the baby all into one being. And it's his reasoning, you, me, and the baby, together, will be the ultimate family. Help me be human. So his goal here is to fuse himself with his adult 
girlfriend, Ronnie, and his infant child into one entity. I, I'm more terrified of the idea of what would have happened if he had succeeded more than anything that occurs in this film. And I feel like there's something so powerful about that, that his goal, and once again, like a good villain, he truly believes that he's doing the quote-unquote right thing. I think it's clear that he's being pretty selfish, but you could argue that he is governed by stimuli at this point. He's becoming an insect. Insects are inherently self-interested. They don't have the ability for compassion. They don't have the the capacity for compassion. And so he's doing what his stimulus combined, the the abject uh, uh, confidence and um, uh, drive of an insect with the intelligence and capability of a human creates this horrible plan where he's going to fuse himself. And the idea of what that would look like in success scares me so much more than what happens. And what does happen is pretty freaking awesome. She, uh, Ronnie is being dragged by Seth, who is way stronger than he's ever been before. She cannot break free of his grip. Stathis is passed out, is like in a pain coma as he's been barfed on twice and had his appendages melted away. And Ronnie reaches out to Seth and grabs his jaw. His jaw comes right off, and we get the 80s best body horror transformation, period. I don't care, American Werewolf in London. I don't care, The Thing. I love Seth Brundle's final transformation from a recognizable Jeff Goldblum to the fly monster. It is paced so perfectly. It is filmed so exquisitely. All the way that the flesh falls off of everything, how long things linger. I could rewatch that scene with the jaw falling off and the head pushing through. The fly head pushes through and outside of Jeff Goldblum's head. <laughs> Oh, it's so like um, like Men in Black when uh, uh, the roach guy was stuck inside the human. Like, I could only imagine what, oh my God, it's like a, it's like a cocoon. It's like those horrible like parasite things that you see that like in, in some insects, you can actually see the parasite like inside their body squirming around and stuff like that. That's what it must have been like for Jeff, uh, for Seth Brundle's character, except he was the parasite. He was the human being eaten away at the inside and he was the parasite doing the eating. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. So, uh, like I said, so he's turned into his big giant fly monster and he hurls Ronnie into her telepod and closes the door and it locks. And then he goes into his telepod and it closes and locks. So the idea is that they're both going to get teleported into the third vacant pod. But Stathis wakes up, he comes to, and he shoots Ronnie's telepod door, which breaks the door open and she's able to get out. But... Seth Brundle, the fly, is inside his telepod and he sees what's happening and he's trying to break his way out so that he can stop what's happening. But the countdown's already started. And so it's like three, two, he breaks the glass. He's got one foot out. One, the telepod activates and he with one leg outside of the telepod and the door open and the glass and everything gets teleported. And you can see it's like a big chunk of the telepod itself disappears when he gets teleported. And then all eyes slowly turn to the other, the third telepod. What's going to happen? As on the computer, it says, fusion of Brundle and telepod successful. 
the door opens and there's all this gas and then with the most painful like animal roar falls out is Seth Brundle fused with the technological mechan- machinery of the telepod. He is this agonizing to look at pained, bloody red uh, fusion of or- organic and cables and metal where like the capillaries turn into the metal. It's horrific. And he's just dragging himself so slowly. And it's, it's this, it's this man who just wanted to get one place from one place to another quickly because he didn't like traveling. And he drags himself over to Ronnie who's holding the shotgun and he begs her to kill her. He holds the gun up to his head so you can see in that last moment that he still he still got something in there that's that wants to die that's still human and so Ronnie obliges him and mercy kills Seth boom the end and that's the fly it's a really it's a really downer ending but it's one of my favorite horror movies from the 80s it really 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 is for my next segment, now we get to talk about Screaming Themies, the segment where I talk about some of the uh, ongoing themes throughout this movie. Some of them, I think, are a little easier to defend than others, but I've got a little list here. Let's go through it. The first and, uh, well, the first theme in no particular order I've got here is death, disease, and terminal illness, specifically AIDS. So this movie came out during the, uh, well, I, I don't want to... I don't want to get uh, the dates wrong. 1986, I think one could say that was the height of the AIDS epidemic. Um, but uh, I was I was surprised that David Cronenberg was surprised when The Fly was seen by some critics as a cultural metaphor for AIDS, which I think is, as, as an artist, when you endeavor to create something, uh, I, I have to imagine that you, you have an idea of the allegories and the themes that you're trying to put forth that aren't necessarily pertinent to the movie itself. Um, and even if you're not trying to, just by being a person, you are a product of a time, and the values and themes of that time will come through in whatever your art is, I, I feel, if you're being truly authentic. So when you put out a piece of art and other people interpret it as something truly meaningful, specifically the AIDS allegory. Think about it. This is a main character who gets a disease that starts to physically eat away at his health and is is a reason to want to keep yourself away from this person. It may or may not be uh, contagious, but all we know is that it is terminal. And so I guess you could say that it's not specifically AIDS, but that the fly kind of plays with the theme of a uh, general terminal disease like cancer or AIDS or HIV or maybe even, huh, maybe even just the aging process? That seems like a stretch. I don't know. (laughs) But, um, yeah, there's a quote here that says, uh, Cronenberg says, for me, there was something about the fly story that was much more universal, aging and death, something all of us have to deal with. So for Cronenberg, uh, he was trying to use uh, a a more universal theme, like he said, of just general aging and the progression toward death and uh, Brundle's being expediated by the disease or uh, by his experimentation on himself. 
But that is kind of a universal terror is like, oh, wow, he's dying. He's falling apart. Uh, for me personally, it's lost because of how physically uh, attributable it's all to his own doing. It's not like, oh, he's just aging and he's falling apart. So that doesn't really uh, work well for me. What I do like is the theme of being betrayed by technology. That here is Seth Brundle, a man who admits that he cannot, uh, he does not like to travel. He doesn't like vehicles, is what he says. Um, he gets motion sickness easily. So he is a man who is consumed with a uh, contentious relationship with technology. And so he's uh, using his relation. He's, he's trying to create a solution for, frankly, a problem that not a lot of people experience. But teleportation would in, in, uh, alienably change the world. Everyone can agree that teleportation would be a uh, world-changing technology. But for Seth Brundle specifically, it is his use of technology to rage against technology. He believes he can use technology. He can fight fire with fire. And he's betrayed. First, by the circuit board that he rolls onto. When uh, Ronnie and he are making love uh, for the first time after he's been um, flyified or whatever. I don't know, whatever. He rolls onto a circuit board. And uh, I like to think that that's the first instance of him being betrayed by technology. Because uh, I guess you could make an argument that the technology itself isn't necessarily the betrayer so much as his hubris at his command of technology. That... uh, he, Seth Brundle, believes himself to be such a god that he can defy the laws of physics and instead of walking across the room, teleport a person because of his uh, relationship with technology and fy the face of god. But it's his same hubris that allowed him to create this dangerous technology that leads to his very downfall. So now this is the segment where I talk about some of the questions that weren't necessarily answered in the movie or just maybe some... Thoughts that I thought were worth thinking about, specifically, who's to blame for this whole movie, for all the problems that happened? If you look at the events, it's Stathis Borens' fault that Seth Brundle transforms into the Brundle Fly. The whole reason that Seth went through the teleporter with the fly is because Ronnie wasn't there to celebrate with him. Ronnie was gone that night because Stathis threatened to run her story. So if Stathis hadn't threatened to run her story that night, Ronnie would have been there to celebrate with him. They probably would have just had sex and called it a night, and he wouldn't have gone through the teleporter with the fly. So I think it's weird that Stathis... I mean, he's definitely punished. He loses his hand and he loses his arm, and... I think it's safe to say he probably loses his job after going uh, a little crazy from everything that happened. But he's essentially, man, this is so interesting. It's like, it's not a typical story where the good guys win and the bad guys lose. It's more cosmically indifferent than that. Stathis is a, he may or may not have been a uh, kind lover to Ronnie at some point, but it's clear that when she wants nothing to do with him for whatever her reasons are, I'm sure they're perfectly good, he is not a good person about it, and he is going to press and ruin her uh, life. He worked, She works for him. Ugh. So it's weird that by the end of it, he's essentially... Uh, he's not rewarded, but he's not killed. He's he's there. He effectively like kind of saves the day. If he wasn't there with the shotgun, 
to get Ronnie out of there, then Ronnie would have been fused with the fly into some kind of horrible monster. So he's simultaneously the inciting, the reason the inciting incident happens and the reason everything uh, that Ronnie gets saved at the end. I was going to say everything works out, but <laughs> no, not necessarily. Uh, so one thing I like to think about with these movies is, you know, what happens next. And once again, I'm going to assume... I'm going to pretend that The Fly 2 from 1989 doesn't exist and just say that there's a massive police investigation that telepods are uh, acquired by the United States government and are studied on. Um, and Ronnie is probably uh, either taken away by the CIA and squirreled away in a hole somewhere, uh, or she's just let go. Um, yeah, honestly, I, I don't see any scenario where the government doesn't come in shut down Bartok, like put Bartok Science Industries under a massive inquiry. Everyone who is connected to this event is squirreled away in Guantanamo Bay and beaten for the rest of their lives until they drown in a waterboarding accident. And, and that's it. Everything gets brushed under the rug and life goes on. It's like a freaking Men in Black incident. They come in and like uh, uh, neuralize everybody. But Ronnie, assuming that she doesn't get scooped up by the government, is the only person who manages to just walk away with, frankly, an amazing story <laughs> that she could probably write a book about. That's, that's how I think this uh, continues. She, if she doesn't get scooped up by the government, writes a book. And it sells millions, and it's great. And maybe people think it's science fiction, but the CIA knows it's not. And then she gets scooped up. I don't know. <laughs> uh, that more or less concludes my uh, discussion on the fly. I just wanted to quickly rate this movie on a scale of one to five thumbs, one being the worst and five being the best, based on a criteria of anything, anything I want. It's my podcast. Uh, so I don't think it's any surprise that I'm giving this movie five thumbs, five thumbs. Every now and then I pick a movie that I really, really like, and I have no qualms going, like, mm, I'm going to give it four. No, this gets five huge thumbs because I – even like I said I, uh, at the beginning, I watched this movie really young, and it influenced a lot of like what I liked and what I thought good horror was, and even like standards of movie making and pacing. Um, and also, it was my main connection to Jeff Goldblum, who, for whatever reason, throughout my high school experience, people thought I looked and acted like Jeff Goldblum which I didn't find particularly flattering, but uh, I, I guess it was nice. I feel like I never really leaned into his uh, mannerisms or anything. People, people called me either Jeff Goldblum or Ray Romano. Kids can be so cruel. That's it. Thanks for listening to The Gory Days next week. That's right. I'm going to be week to week now. You can tune in next Tuesday, and I will be talking about a brand new movie with or without a guest. Who knows? You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, at uh, The Gory Days. Or you can send me an email at thegorydayspodcast at gmail.com. Swing by thegorydays.com to say hello to me. And if for whatever reason you want to listen to more of me every week, oh, boy. You can check out my other podcast, Feeling It Out with Kyle and Connor, where I talk about what it's like being a mental, a creative with mental illness um, with my friend and cohort, Connor Fitzgerald. You can check that out. That comes out on Thursdays. Well, this will continue to come out on Tuesdays, except for this episode. This was a very special episode. If, if you happen to be a new listener, please tell your friends about uh, how exuberant I am and how knowledgeable and how uh, much I believe everything I say is the truth and your feelings are wrong. Uh, tell your friends. Like, subscribe, tweet. Oh, stay scary out there. The glory days, the glory days, the glory days.
days than Cory days. Not a Cory days.